welcome to the Forecast F1 podcast, which we are recording on the day where two British drivers have made it to the British Grand Prix podium. And with us after a race weekend's absence is Samantha Horvat. Sam, you found yourself some internet? Funny. Yes, I found internet. Um, I found a new location to live in. And uh, yeah, and I, and I also was able to watch everything, including last week's race and this week's race. So I'm back. Good to be back. And I'm looking forward to discussing it. All right. And this week's guest on the podcast is Matteo Paletti from Italy, from Parma, founder of the more than often hilarious meme page, Pullman 16 Racing, both on Instagram and on TikTok. Matteo, what are your first thoughts on the race? Uh, first of all, I'm very happy to be on the podcast. And um, it's been quite a good race. Uh, I think that Generally speaking, this season has been uh, quite interesting uh, if we take out Max because we have seen uh, a lot of um, teams on the podium and also the, the gaps from one team to another have been uh, quite close. So it's been nice to see the race. Yes, I agree. It was a really great race. And um, I think that especially during the back end of the race after the safety car, that seems to be where a lot of things picked up. And we saw some really great overtakes and things that we'll get into. All right. So for this weekend, shall we first talk a little bit about the track, Sam? I think you're the one structuring that. Yes, yes. I guess we can talk a little bit about the track. So Silverstone, it's a track known for its strong chances of safety cars, also its temperamental weather. And of course, the track comes with a wealth of history. Now, it is... I would say actually this weekend in particular, I don't know if it was, but it was one of the most attended race weekends. There was over 480,000 people here this weekend, which was remarkable. It also has two DRS zones and top speeds of 332 kilometers. Right. Very high speed track. I think it would be um, good to, well, do we, what, what happened in free practice? Was there anything um, that was uh, worthy of mentioning, uh, Matteo? I remember seeing like always a mix of weather, uh, a bit of rain, a bit of sun, typical British weather. And um, yeah, Max stopped uh, FP1 and FP2, just like in, in Austria. And um, then Charles stopped FP3, but then um, Ferrari messed, messed up during the race and, um, and then picked up uh, very little points. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things in, in free practice that was uh, quite, uh, well, I don't know if we can call it shocking, but uh, but seeing a Williams in the top three for each uh, separate session. So I think Albon was on, had a fastest, third fastest time in FP1 and in FP2 and then was second in FP3. Was, yeah, true. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise. But other than that, not, uh, not extremely exciting. But I think, uh, well, I, I, I like to have... Um, of course, we were talking previously a little bit about sprint weekends and, and how enjoyable those are. But I, I was happy actually to have a regular weekend back where we have three practice sessions and actually building up towards uh, a qualifying on the Saturday and then having an actual race on the Sunday. So it was good to have, uh, let's say, the, the, the regular structure back for, for this weekend. Yeah, I agree. And I knew you were going to go in with the Albon uh, for practice because it was really... It was really something to see him doing so well, seeing him at the top. We've seen Williams in the last couple of races really start to improve on their top speed. And there's still a lot of question marks, but 
I think that seeing Alex recently really become more confident in that car and then seeing the practice, you were excited going into qualifying and into the race to think that maybe he was going to finish in the top 10. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Because um, I also expected a bit more from him. Let's say eighth place uh, is, uh, is really good from a Williams. But seeing him in the top three in FP1, FP2 and FP3, I was expecting a bit more. And of course, uh, free practice are, are just free practices. Uh, we, we saw uh, Verstappen like PA on, uh, in FP3. So of course, there are some drivers that do the maximum they can in free practice and some other than uh, like manage a bit, send back a bit. And um, still, erasing the points uh, is, uh, is very good from Albon. Yes. Yeah, I think it was funny because there was quite a bit of a hype during the free practice sessions. And then when we started with qualifying and we had the, uh, of course, actually Q1 was quite uh, quite eventful. But then for a long while, up until that very last bit where uh, everybody, you know, where track evolution was very high. But before that, both Williams weren't very high, like neither Albon and, and Sargent. I think they also had some lap times deleted, but they weren't doing very well. So it was a big hype building up to qualifying. And then when we actually had qualifying, <laughs> it was like dying down a little bit. And it looked like the Williamses were back where they where they usually are. But actually, then the very last bit of Q1 was, uh, was, was quite exciting. I, I think um, after Magnussen, uh, his car switched off and we had that red flag and everybody was uh, just waiting to go out for the last three minutes. Um, yeah, I think those were three very, very eventful minutes, weren't they? Yeah, I agree. They were quite intense, that's for sure. And then Perez not uh, not making it out of uh, Q1, I think that was, uh, well, I, I guess a bit of a regular uh, deception for him uh, these days. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, it's unfortunate because ever since Monaco, it seems like he's really been struggling during qualifying. Here's a question that I'll put out to both of you. What do we think are the reasonings as to why we're seeing such a sudden decline with Perez and his performance over the past few over the past few race weekends? Well, I don't know. I think, you know, for each one, uh, for each session that he didn't make it out or didn't make it into Q3, I think there's always some circumstances to be mentioned like this time too, like when when the red flag were there was there and then he was uh, in front of the line to go out and I think he was he was waiting there for much longer than the other cars so his tires were probably a little bit uh, colder than than the rest of the cars so that gave him a disadvantage but but then again you know you're you're still in a Red Bull and I think that uh, of course even with circumstances sometimes somewhat alleviating him from um, from his not making it into Q3 I, I think well I don't want to say he should be shamed with himself but uh, to to a certain extent with with the Red Bull seat I think uh, yeah I, I don't think that we can constantly look for excuses and I just think he's underperforming and whether it has to do with the pressure um, that he can't handle uh, then again you know all these drivers are under pressure so I don't think that's an excuse by itself either but uh, but Matteo what do you think? Yeah I agree I think that Apart from Monaco, where he just crashed, he was unlucky in in every qualifying. But then you can you can just uh, put it as bad luck if you manage to uh, to be eliminated in a Red Bull by uh, five times in a row. So um, I think that he should let's say he shouldn't think about the championship because um, 
he he was he was uh, doing his job very well when he was uh, like the designated number two driver and uh, he was performing well. Last year he had uh, a couple of wins. He had many many podiums because his job was to uh, be the number two driver. Now that he himself and many people believed that uh, he could fight for the championship, the pressure was too much to handle and um, and he's falling off a bit. And I think that's what a champion doesn't do uh, because if you're a solid driver, if you're a good driver like Barrett's, like also Sainz, you perform really well in a midfield car, in a top team car. But when you are asked to win many races in a row, that's where champions really step up. I completely agree with you. Yeah, I, I was actually, I, I second that in terms of what really defines and elevates your skill as a driver is the pressure. I mean, because every one of these guys, every one of these drivers are excellent in what they do. There's no doubt about that. But being in the pressure of being the second driver for Red Bull, and obviously you're the second driver to the world champion, you have to be able to put it on every single every single race weekend. And sometimes you are going to be in a position where you'll be dealt a, a bad hand, but it's consistently over the last several races, the fact that he hasn't been able to be at the tier that's expected, I think also shows the difference in from being a champion, like you had mentioned, and being just a very good driver. Yeah, exactly. I think he must have felt slightly bad for Bottas actually setting a quicker time in Q1, but then not being able to provide a fuel sample and actually therefore thus making it into Q2, but not being able to actually start there. So he, he started last, right? But because of his time being better in Q1 than Pires's, then he, he Pires was on P16, but he wouldn't have been if Bottas wouldn't have at that time so it you know it's it's sometimes just on a on a knife's edge it's 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 very little difference but yeah um i think like both of well i think all three of us were saying yeah he he you know he didn't do bad at the beginning of the season but i guess that the pressure he's built on a little bit himself by by winning saudi and by being that good in in baku so uh, it's it's somewhat self-inflicted that pressure and uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, if if we look at the other drivers that were previously in Red Bulls like uh, Gasly and Albon and and, and Ricardo, I, I think they left Red Bull for for I, I haven't I don't recall I don't think either of those didn't make it into Q3 five consecutive times. So so pressure's building even more and more for the next couple of races. I feel. Yeah, I I was um, I was reading a stat before, and um, I read that the previous time. Where a Red Bull didn't qualify in the in Q3 for five times in a row was uh, Coulthard in 2007, so that's pretty impressive. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The pressure's on for Perez. It really is. So I guess we can talk about, in contrast, a team that actually did very well this weekend. Let's start with qualifying, of course, and that was McLaren. It, it was really great to see them do so well. The upgrades are clearly working for them. Both the drivers had confidence in the car. It was Lando's home race, so obviously it was something that was impressive to see him come into uh, finish with P2, starting at P2, going into the race. But what I felt even more impressive was Piastri, his rookie season, and to be able to compete and come into third was also something that definitely should be mentioned. 
Yeah, Norris was extremely close even to getting pole because that time that Verstappen set first was, I think, a 127.0 and then Norris setting at 126.9. So if Verstappen wouldn't have set that pole lap, then uh, then it would have been Norris on pole, which would have been great to see. But uh, but what was what was definitely, and, and you're completely right, like with the updates that, um, that Norris had last weekend in Austria and Piastra being quite far away from him on times, um, it was good to see that now both cars having the upgrades um actually they were they were very close uh, for for the throughout the whole weekend they were very close to one another so yeah those updates definitely working quite well yeah i agree um we saw that uh, mclaren with norris was like the third fastest car in austria with upgrades but of course um piastri struggled a bit with the with the old car and um and now the car confirmed itself as the the second or third fastest car um, behind Red Bull and maybe also Ferrari uh, in Silverstone. And both Norris and Piastri did extremely well because um, it's, it's, of course, easy to have uh, a good car, but then you have to, you have to perform well. And um, Norris did it as always. And also Piastri as a rookie uh, did very, very well. And so now the question is, uh, if McLaren can continue to, to remain the in the top three, top four teams for the rest of the year, or maybe Silverstone is just a, a one-off. Yeah, that would be interesting to see because now actually Aston Martin's dropping off a little bit. Um, I mean, already in qualifying, they were slightly disappointing with, um, with Alonso only qualifying ninth and then Stroll. Well, he was slightly unlucky too with Ocon just blocking him there into that last lap that they were going to set, which which looked very awkward. But uh, but yeah, with Aston Martin dropping off a little bit, it's it's going to be interesting to see which team's going to be the second fastest uh, car because uh, yeah, it's it's well, it's tight now. It's very tight. Yeah. Well, including Alpine as well. You have Alpine this weekend went in and didn't achieve any points during the race, which we'll obviously talk about later. But that's McLaren's biggest competitor right now in the Constructors' Championship. So, uh, like you were saying, Matteo, if this is not a one-off and they actually start be remaining more consistent in their performance throughout the rest of the season, could we see them battling more with the Aston Martins going forward? I think that you bring another team into that block, uh, whether it is with Aston Martin, uh, Alpine, hopefully, if they start to improve, you have Ferrari, you have Mercedes, you have a lot more teams battling it at this point for the podium for, I mean, let's be honest, mainly for P2 and P3. <laughs> but regardless, seeing much more, seeing more teams enter the conversation just makes it that much more exciting as the, as the rest of the season progresses. So, okay, let's move along then. We actually, before we move along, one thing I do want to mention when it comes to McLaren just in general, what did the two of you think about the livery and also Norris's helmet this weekend? Um, about about Norris's helmet, I didn't like it a lot um, because um, the the colors were um, were nice, but to see a, a very big big sponsor on the helmet wasn't that great. I mean, um, it was used um, also in the eighties, also in the nineties with uh, let's say. Uh, John Player special, Lotus with Senna, but to see helmets uh, so influenced by by sponsors is kind of sad, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I like, for example, Alonso because uh, 
no matter where team uh, what team uh, he he drives uh he always has his uh, yellow and blue helmet but the car was the car was nice um i liked i preferred the um, the triple crown livery but uh this chrome and papaya livery is um is better than the current one in my opinion i agree with you there i i definitely think the triple crown was my favorite so far this year anton what were your thoughts yeah, the Triple Crown livery definitely was, was the nicest one I've seen this year. I was actually hoping, really hoping that they would do like a full chrome or let's say a yeah, silver, white, red car. Uh, I was kind of disappointed to see them blend in so much orange still. I think it would have been good for a one-off to really go back to uh, to the colors of the days of old. But uh, but yeah, um, yeah. I also, I also think that... Um, uh the yeah the triple crown uh, that, that livery i loved i would like to see them race the whole re year with that but uh but but yeah I, what are they are they gonna race the, the regular livery in in hungary yeah i think so i think so yeah they're going back to the regular one but i i i think you're right i it would have been nice to see more of the chrome um and i do agree that the the google ads to me are just a little over the top but yeah, I think we're going back to their original 2023 livery for Hungary. I don't know if they're making any alterations anymore for the rest of the season, though. I think it was just Silverstone was the last one. Well, you can leave that up to uh, to McLaren in general. I think they, they switch it up quite often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe we will see another one in like Abu Dhabi because uh, True. I don't know. It's just a prediction. Because they have been making making a, a one off in twenty twenty one in twenty twenty two, so I don't know. I don't know if they can even last that long until until switching something. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think it would be good to. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to hear from you. Uh, what what you think? Uh, what were your thoughts on the on the first lap on the race? Actually, with uh, with the start there with uh, Norris Verstappen and Piastri. What uh, Matteo? What were how were you looking at that? Um, I was I was pretty surprised to see Norris um, gaining the lead, of course, and I was also surprised to see Piastri fighting with uh, with Verstappen, and that was kind of um, that was kind of disappointing to see Piastri uh, yielding uh, against uh, Max at Cops and or also before, because I think that um, Max would have still won, but maybe. Overtaking two cars would have taken him uh, a bit more laps, uh, so we can have a, a bit more fight for the lead. Uh, but of course, it was uh, it was nice to see Lando fighting for the lead, um, and um, it's also a bit sad to see uh, every driver uh, rightfully not mm, giving much of a fight to to Max and preferring to uh, to secure P two um, because. It's what works best for them, but it's also sad uh, because um, it's sad for us fans. Yeah, you see the same when Perez is driving through the field when he's starting 15 each race and then, you know, passes by everyone without anybody really putting up a fight because everyone knows it's it's useless to, I mean, you're just ruining your tires by doing so, but but that way we don't see any real racing. So, you know, it's, it's you know, the Red Bull can start somewhere in the middle of the field, but you know that they're just going to drive on, even though it did take Perez quite a bit at the beginning of the race to really... Uh, move up the ladder but uh, but yeah you don't see any real fights like some of the other fights that uh, that you see like when actually when when Hamilton meets Alonso on track they actually fight for a bit even even though that didn't take too long either but um, 
but there were some there were some decent fights and especially well i don't want to skip all the way towards the end but uh, for me the fight between norris and and hamilton after the restart for a couple of laps that was I, I think for me that was the best fighting i've seen this year so far or at least one of the ones that i enjoyed the most yeah i agree yeah it was it was exciting i mean we can we can dive into a little bit about that since we're talking about it i th- what made it what heightened the intensity was the safety car restart for me and the fact that I, it obviously was a questionable strategic call, I feel, putting Norris on hards because he's coming out on hards. Um, you have Hamilton on softs. You're in a safety car restart. You know that the challenge is going to be now, the pressure is going to be for Norris to act defensively instead of trying to compete uh, with Max. And that puts a lot of pressure on him. And being able to, I agree with you when you say that was that was one of the best racing we've seen. Although I was, I was on the edge of my seat thinking, because I wanted to see Lando in P2. So watching them battle it out, I, I was hoping that he was going to be able to, to have the upper hand there. But also at the same time, you're just so nervous for what the result's going to be. And seeing Hamilton be able to uh, come after him and seeing Lando be able to do a really good job defensively on hards was one of the highlights of the race. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And and also, if you think about it, um, the two best moments of the weekend or two of, of the best moments, uh, that is um, the final part of Q1 and uh, uh, the safety car in the race came thanks to, to Magnussen stopping. <laughs> yeah, That's true. such a good point. I never thought of that. Yeah, and actually that safety car flattered Hamilton a little bit because I was I was thinking that without that safety car, uh, Piastri might have undercut Norris and we would have seen a fight between the two McLarens for P2. But uh, but but yeah, the safety car changed things up a little bit and uh, and and uh, then again also made it more interesting. I, I think um, for a couple of um, for a couple of drivers, it, it was a good thing for others, not so much. Yeah, I think for Piastri too, it, he was unlucky in his situation where he was pitted onto hard shortly before the safety car. But even still, the McLarens, what was also impressive was seeing them on hards and still being able to have a strength in their top speed. Because shortly after the safety car, he was still maintaining a relatively close pace to Hamilton. So that was something as well to to make mention of. But it's it's going to be interesting. You you just touched on Piastri and Norris and seeing them battle. I have a funny feeling that if their consistency in terms of their performance continues, we're likely going to see a few battles and between the two of them. And I would love to see that. Yeah, I think we'd all love to see that. We'd all love to see that for sure. And that's a good thing of having two good drivers in a car where, you know, there's um there's also a couple of teams where there's quite a bit of um, distance between the two. But in but in McLaren, I feel that they are definitely uh competitive the two of them now zach brown actually just to just to touch on that with piastri zach brown at one point just several weeks ago said that he believes piastri is a future world champion i mean it's still early to to say it's early days but do any of us see that he has what it potentially takes to maybe achieve that yeah i i definitely agree because um talking about his uh his speeder series uh, career so formula four three and two um he was he was perfect he won three titles in a row uh, like um like leclerc and russell um both of leclerc and russell won uh, formula 3 and formula 2 um in 
in two seasons in a row. I don't know about Formula 4, but uh, still, uh, that was a, a very uh, good achievement. And I think, yeah. That, I think so did Hockenberg, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, also, yeah, him as well. And did Hamilton too? Um, I don't remember, to be honest. I think so, but um, I don't remember. I I have to check. Yeah, but you're but you're right. I mean, Piastri has shown that he is an extremely that he's extremely talented. So I also expect he's going to be. It was just a little bit Zach just mentioning Piastri and not Norris. I think they only they only differ about a year in age, don't they? But uh, but but I do agree that Piastri is is, is an amazing talent. They are uh, like two years apart, I think. Uh, Norris is born in uh, was born in '99 and Piastri in. 2001 so yeah they're pretty uh, pretty similar like um, in age but of course Norris has much more experience in Formula One. Yeah absolutely and I was gonna say I think one thing that I find interesting about Piastri is his composure. As a rookie he seems very very composed and I don't know if he really feels that way on the inside but the way that he projects himself every way race weekend is just this quiet confidence and composure and we were just touching earlier on mentality and being under pressure and seeing a driver at such a young age and being a rookie in this season be able to maintain at least project that level of composure makes you believe that maybe when pressure is added onto him that there's a lot more strength or hope in the fact that he would be able to handle it yeah exactly yeah i think we all three of us are expecting a lot from him in the next couple of years I, I also want to go back uh, because I think, uh, Matteo, you mentioned it at the very beginning uh, of the episode, but uh, but the Ferraris being quite uh, disappointing in the race, finishing ninth and 10th. And um, and, and I don't know what, what happened to Sainz there at the, um, I don't know, 10 laps before the end or something when Perez was overtaking him. And then he just, I don't know, he, he let everyone go past him. Yeah, uh, he was overtaken by like four cars, I think, in one lap. It was Perez, Albon, Leclerc, and Gasly, and um, it was it was really really unlucky by uh, by him and also by Leclerc because uh, they weren't um, doing that that bad before the safety car. Um, they were like on a three race uh, streak where they were picking up with points, like first Canada, then Austria, and then also Silverstone. But then the safety car came in and messed things up. And to to go home from Silverstone with just three points, while McLaren did like uh, 30 points, uh, is, is of course very sad. But you being Italian, are you are you a Ferrari fan? Um, yeah, uh, my my favorite driver is Hamilton, but my favorite team is uh, is Ferrari. Right. Nice. Yeah, I, I think I think we all have, uh, well, many of us have a soft spot for Ferrari, for sure. And uh, it's, it's, like you said, it's sad to see, it's sad to see the state of things at this point in time. I mean, there's all, I would, I would love to see, I would love to see Leclerc doing better. Signs has, has been able to do okay, but this weekend was, a, this race weekend was tough. And I think... I'm guessing that part of the reason why he was struggling during that period was he was also a driver that was on hards, but it looked like he was really struggling at that point to find grip. 
Because, like you had said, everybody was just steamrolling past him and capitalizing upon that. Perez was the first one to take advantage of it. It was actually a nice overtake on his part, but between that and then Leclerc, I I questioned the early pit stop that they decided to do to hards for him when really his main competitor at that point in time was Russell. So that was another thing that was unfortunate to see. But like I said, there's there's a part of us, I think a lot of us can collectively say that there's a part of us that really would love to see Ferrari uh, doing much better than where they are right now. So, so Sam, talking about soft spots, what about your fellow Canadian pushing Gasly on the road? Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, he did get a five-second penalty for that, didn't he? Yeah, and I think deservedly, deservedly so. so. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that we saw a few... A few I'm trying to think of the right word to say here, but we saw a few things that Stroll was doing this weekend during at least today on Sunday's race that uh, seemed like he was, uh, I, I don't know what was happening, to be honest with you, that I think that's the best way for me to say it. I really don't know. Um, I, it was unfortunate for Gasly. He, uh, shortly after that, he actually had to retire. I don't think it was related to that incident, but at the same time, mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead. No, I'm not sure whether it was related. It was right after, so I think it must have been. It it very well might have. And poor Gasly, because he seemed to have a, a string of unfortunate circumstances happen over the last several race weekends. But for Stroll, it seemed like, well, we went back on Aston Martin and the fact that they, they were very quiet this weekend. We're used to seeing them, and mainly Alonso, of course, but we're used to seeing them do fairly well every weekend for the 2023 season. So to see them a lot more quiet, uh, much more quieter. And then also Stroll, I, he really just seemed to struggle altogether. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking about Aston Martin, I also think that Stroll has been, um, has been really bad for, for Aston Martin this year. And uh, I like him. Um, I also used to, to defend him when, uh, when he, he was attacked by by haters, but I think that he didn't capitalize a lot when Aston Martin was the second fastest car by by a mile, and um, and Alonso was getting P two and P three every race, and now that Aston Martin is back to to a higher midfield team, um, of course uh, that um, the points that he missed in in the early stages are. Are, are paying off yeah i think that when you're when you're competing you're the driver that you are competing against alonso you we go back we've we've discussed it Th that's kind of the running theme i think of this com of these conversation or this conversation that we're having is pressure right and uh you're absolutely right stroll has been able like he he's he has the car he has the components but when it really comes down to battling with Alonso and, and seeing where he performs, he's, he seemed to fall short usually this year. So unfortunately for him, this race weekend, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And I'm, we'll see how the rest of this year pans out. I think that for Aston Martin for this weekend, they just, they seem to be stagnant. So I would love to see them do do well. I'm sure we can we can probably all collectively agree that Alonso is going to come back at some point because it's Alonso. <laughs> but Stroll still a big question mark, I think. So let's talk a little bit about Hamilton. Uh, he started off in P7. He finished on the podium in P3. So it was a great turnaround for him. And 
he also in the beginning he had a situation where he actually fell back it looks like he ran wide and he missed his breaking point in the very first lap of the race but overall it was an impressive performance i think and a really great turnaround um mateo let's start with you what were your thoughts yeah uh, it was a great race by by hamilton and um after a poor qualifying and also a, a poor austrian gp um i didn't think uh, um he would have made the podium today uh, mercedes uh, looked uh, looked pretty quick on race uh, on race pace on uh, friday but of course uh Friday's race pace simulation and uh, and the race uh, and the actual race uh, are two different things, but he did really well. Of course, uh, he's a great uh, he's a great driver. Uh, Silverstone is uh, is always one of his uh, best tracks, and um, he was also a bit lucky uh, to uh, to benefit from the safety car because, as you said before, we would have probably uh, seen a, a double McLaren podium without the safety car but he did a, a good comeback anyway is it podium number 14 for him here in silverstone isn't it yeah podium number 14 and uh, i think like uh, the 11th podium in a row in silverstone incredible wow yeah. i mean it also showcases his skill as a driver like you mentioned just the fact that he he's a driver that he starts off in p7 yes he capitalized on the safety car but he puts on an impressive performance and then we factor him into this conversation with his battle on Norris and how it was one of the best overtakes we've seen this season. So I think overall it was a really great race for him and a really great recovery. Anton, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, but I can only repeat what the two of you were saying. I think I mentioned it before, that battle between him and, and, and Norris was, was really great to watch and they kept it clean because... Um, you know, it was really, it was really on the edge. Uh, I mean, they were very, very close. On, and obviously, with with Hamilton having soft tires and no, Norris on on hards, um, I, I would have actually expected the turnout to be different. I, I thought Hamilton was gonna, you know, especially with uh, DRS getting back after a couple of laps. I think it's after two laps of the safety car. Yeah, I was expecting Hamilton to overtake Norris, but uh, but um, yeah, in the end. Uh, Really great achievement, like you said. He he struggled at the beginning uh, with his um, with going wide in lap lap one. So uh, recovering like that, um, yeah, great race in the end. And and yeah, <laughs> eleven podiums in a row is uh, I don't know. There's no words for that. What did the two of you think about the speaking of Mercedes about Russell's overtake on Leclerc? Yeah, he he did pretty well. Of course, with Russell, he's a he's a very very good driver and. Um, and Mercedes was uh, was pretty quick on race pace, uh, so um, so I think that Russell did did quite well. Actually, I think P5 was was the maximum he could achieve. So P3 and P5 was uh, was better than than what I predicted for for Mercedes before the race. Russell drove half the race on on soft. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, thirty laps. Yeah. Which is which is why already before the safety car I was was wondering whether other teams would like learn from that and um, and go for a one stop strategy and just go from the mediums to the soft you know with with Russell taking out make, making it so, last so long on the softs but uh, yeah then again of course with the safety car uh, it, it, the decision was a little bit easier for for some of the drivers and then I think Sam you already touched upon um, it being questionable for uh, McLaren to to put um, 
Norris on the hards. I think for the, those pitting under the safety car, was he the only one going on hards or were there others? Uh, no, well, Sainz was on hards as well. Uh, and we saw obviously him struggle and Piastri was on hards, but I believe both of them pitted just before the safety car and then remained out yeah, there. Right. So I, I think that during the safety car, he was the only driver to go on hards. Yeah, well, in the end, it wouldn't have mattered because he would never have won the race, but uh, <laughs> they made it quite uh, <laughs> quite an exciting uh, last couple of laps to watch uh, between him and Hamilton. Well, he said that himself when he was interviewed at the end, and uh, he he touched on the fact that the, the questionable decision of putting him on hards, but at the end he said, I don't care, I managed to get P2. So <laughs> fair enough. All right, so what I would also like to ask the two of you is what do you think about the calendar that has been announced for, for next year? Ooh, yes. I First off, I think that 24 races are way too much because um, this year we, are, we have, like uh, I think, uh, 22 races with uh, Imola cancellation, and um, it's already a lot. And to have two more races next year with, uh, with Imola and China is is too much in my opinion then uh the good part is um the step towards uh, regionalization so they moved um japan at the start of the season and baku uh, towards the the end uh, towards the end of september i think um so that we have um a bit of race uh, a bit of races uh, in asia and then in september we have some races uh, uh, like um, Baku, Singapore, in um, yeah, Baku and Singapore aren't that close to each other, but it's still better to do like uh, Miami, Spain, Canada, Monza. Uh, so yeah, that's a step towards regionalization. Yeah, I agree with you um, from a geographical standpoint. I think, or logistically, it it makes more sense. And I'm on the same page as you. I think 24 races is just too much the strain that you're putting on the drivers, the teams, everybody involved. It already takes a lot to put a race weekend together, let alone doing this for 24 races. It's just, I, I wonder the toll that it actually takes as a whole to be able to pull that off. And I find it quite peculiar that we have such a congested calendar, but then there's so much time between Singapore and Austin. There's like four weeks, just like a, a second summer break or something, when you already have so many races that you need to fit on the calendar and you need to, yeah, I, I would, I, I just don't really understand that gap, but maybe there's a good reason for it that uh, I fail to understand. No, they haven't announced the sprint formats or uh, the sprint layouts for 2024, have they? Not that I know of. I think they just they just labeled the calendar because then we also factor that in, right? Because a sprint weekend is is intense as it is. So if they're going to continue to carry sprints into 2024 and, and this year they added more, uh, what are they going to do when it comes to 2024? They have 24 races. Then if you add sprints involved in that, how many sprints are they going to add? Which tracks are they going to put it on? It just seems like congested is probably the best word to describe it. It really does seem congested and it seems incredibly intense. Yeah, um, I think uh, I've heard from Domenicali like uh, a couple months ago that uh, the plan is to, to keep six uh, sprint races in 2024. But then again, it's, uh, it's just a, a plan. So maybe that will Knowing change Knowing Formula it One, they'll probably change it. Yeah. <laughs> They do like to have quite a few changes, don't they? 
yeah yeah and then the question exactly. will also be that actually what will be the format during the sprint races are they going to stick with what they're doing now with having having a separate sprint shootout yes or no i i um well that's a constant discussion too um and there's various opinions mateo what what do you think actually would you prefer the the sprint format we had la if we're going to have sprints like would you rather have the way we had it last year or how we're doing it now I would go for this year's format because um, it will take a, a bit for me to to get used to it, but um, I think that makes more sense because um, I think that drivers are more free to to risk it on Saturday, knowing that uh, the sprint result uh, isn't the uh, starting grid from uh, for uh, Sunday's race, um, because um, last year and also in 2021 we just saw some. We are so boring sprints, apart from uh, from Brazil 2021, when, where uh, Hamilton was uh, was coming back, because of course drivers cared about their starting position on Sunday. But now that now there are two qualities, so drivers are more free to to race, and we can have more uh, more fights. Yeah, I agree. I I think that the format this year is is a little bit more fine tuned and gives them the ability to stretch their legs. I just wish that. Some of the tracks that they've chosen this year for the sprint races, uh, I, I would have liked to see it in tracks that maybe have more overtaking opportunities. Like I, I, when it came to Baku, it was something that it's a track that is notorious for not really having a lot of overtaking. So when you add the element of a sprint, uh, you're not really going to see a lot of action or you would expect not to see a lot of action in that department. So I I completely agree with you. I think that the format itself is better. I just hope that going into next year that the tracks that they do choose for the sprints are going to be catered more towards where you're going to see a lot more racing opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would also rather see a sprint at Silverstone than at Baku, but uh, but yeah, uh, I guess it also depends on the weekend. Like actually if we would have seen a sprint this weekend with the rain on the Saturday, that would have been, you know, nice just like we we had in Austria, but but then again, you know, yeah, weather conditions uh You in the rain, Anton, I tell you. You in the rain. I actually I'll just say this, when we were in Canada, we were, when we were physically in Canada at the race, Something that Anton kept on saying was, I hope it rains at least one of the days so that we can see, it would be interesting to see the contrast in the temp, in the different weather and, and how, and for us visually to see how they perform. And he said that, and Saturday, it absolutely downpoured the entire day. And they ended up having to, uh, <laughs> having to stop things short. So yeah, I, I know you love the rain. Although I you love that weather element. Yeah, although <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, we can all already have difficulties predicting weather uh, 10 minutes ahead on a track like Silverstone. So to take it into account for the 2024 <laughs> calendar is going to be tough. Oh, that's true. That's true. And, and a place, yeah, with Silverstone, I mean, the weather, like we mentioned, is so temperamental that uh, it would be a really interesting track to add a sprint to. I would love to see a sprint race in Silverstone. Yeah, same. I, I agree. All right, so for the next section, I think we can talk a little bit about forecast scores. But actually, before doing that, I would also like to ask you, Matteo, how did you came up with the idea of starting your page and what are you doing with it? What are your thoughts behind it? If you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. 
I actually started my, let's say, social network journey on YouTube in uh, 2017 and uh, with a YouTube channel. And I was doing some, some edits of the races, some, uh, some videos. But uh, then I stopped like a year later because um, many videos were taken down by phone for copyright. And also it was taking a lot of time. And then so I decided to, uh, to move to, to Instagram and uh, the, in 2018. And there were some, uh, some months where uh, I didn't know uh, what to post. And I posted a bit of everything. I posted uh, news, uh, memes, uh, um, yeah, everything. And then uh, I noticed that memes were doing uh, much, much better than everything else. So I kept uh, on doing memes. Uh, and then, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it went. And I continued to do also uh, something, something else. And I still do. I, I do also like uh, driver, driver ratings uh, and, and other stuff. And I also would love to, to come back to YouTube with, um, with something else. But I don't have the time. So I, I have to concentrate on, on one social media. And of course, uh, of course, Instagram is doing really well, and uh, and I will continue to uh, to post on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, you you said in terms of time, and that's one thing that I I'm very impressed with in terms of what you do is is just you're constantly purveying and and creating different uh, posts, and they're all relative, they're all well timed, they're they're consistent, they're they're witty. I mean, I, the, the memes, there's not a single one that I look at that I like posts that you do that I don't think is well-timed and, and just quick witted. And I think that obviously plays a huge role in terms of, of your success in doing what you do. And like I said, I mean, timing is something that sometimes I look and I go, how, how is he managing this? Because you're, you have so much, uh, be having a small little role that we do in, in what we, like what we put together takes up a lot of time. So I can only imagine the dedication and the the consistency, like remaining consistent and putting the effort that you do uh, to achieve what you have. So it's quite impressive. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I think that I haven't uh, watched uh, uh, an F1 race properly like in, in five years because <laughs> I always had have my TV on, but uh, I'm, I'm making memes. And so that's why that's why I'm I'm so quick. But of course, um, I I have to enjoy the race a bit a bit less. I think what's a nice part. I, I think I mentioned it also before on one of the other podcasts. But uh, I think what's a nice part is also that from from following you, you don't you can't really tell who you're a fan of, and that's I think different from quite a lot of other pages where, yeah, if you follow them a little bit, you can pick up quite quickly who they support and who they don't. But uh, but but you're quite neutral in that. Well, I mean, you make fun of everyone basically, but that's a. It's great. <laughs> that's that's a good thing, and and I I had no idea actually you started out on YouTube. That's interesting, but uh, but yeah, the the copyright uh, there is a little bit, uh, yeah, more tough to work with, I guess. Yeah, um, I I love to uh, to make like um, race uh, edits on uh, on YouTube. But of course, uh, um, it used to take me like four or five days. I was I was also much much uh, slower. But um, 
yeah, when you work like for, uh, let's say, three, four, five hours on a video, and then uh, of course you get zero views because uh, uh, Fom takes it down. It's it's of course uh, sad. Yeah, that's not very motivating. Yeah, exactly. And um, talking about um, trying to to be unbiased with uh, with my favorite driver team. Uh, yeah, I agree because um, I also stopped following a lot of pages that have my favorite driver as their favorite driver, but it's uh, it's annoying. Yeah, I think you see that a lot. I think it's tough for people to stick to. Um, I mean, of course, you can have your own opinion. That's that's beyond any doubt. But um, but yeah, when you're creating a community, I think it works best if you don't try to put you know certain people in corners and stuff because that yeah i mean that just shuns people away from 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 watching you so yeah i think all in all it's been a, pretty much a success story when did you start exactly that you say i might have i might have missed but which year uh i i started uh in 2017 on youtube and uh, in 2018 on on instagram right 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 well yeah well it's been a i mean time flies doesn't it yeah yeah if it, it, it certainly does and uh it actually wasn't that that easy to to pick up some followers because um from uh, from 2018 when i opened the page uh to like 2021 i had like mm, 2000 followers and um and then the page like blew up in uh, in a year and uh, and that, that was cool but of course uh, uh before that uh, to make memes every day and to see like uh, zero follow zero new followers one new follower it wasn't that great yeah it takes a lot of time and dedication that's for sure yeah well i think it also attributes if if you mentioned that like over over two years of of you putting content out and that seeing an increase and then all of a sudden seeing a spike it also shows uh well, attributes to your passion behind doing things like this uh, because it's it must be difficult to be able to continue to produce that content um and not seeing maybe results that you're hoping for but even if it's not there your passion remains the same which is i would imagine part of your driving force to to remaining consistent and and being able to produce produce the memes and produce the content that is witty and regardless everything that you put together is something that somebody can go back on at some point in time and be able to look at so yeah yeah I guess in a sense, it all comes around for a full circle for you. That that content is still something that's relative for somebody to look at, uh, however many months later or whatever the case may be, when they do decide to start paying attention to it. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I I never uh, made anything for for likes because uh, of course uh, I would have uh, given up uh, many many years ago. And, and still, <laughs> exactly. And still now, I, I don't care about the numbers. Like uh, uh, I don't check uh, the likes or the following uh, because um, I would I would post uh, totally different uh, things if I cared about the numbers. Yeah, because I, I, well, it's good that you didn't give up. <laughs> no, and I think that that it, it shows through the through the content that you produce, right? Because if you are concerned more about uh, the way that people are looking at it or the traction itself, then you would maybe automatically start transitioning into what you believe people would really want to see. And it less becomes about your creativity. 
Whereas you're able to expand on your own personal creativity, you focus on your passion, and no matter what, you're able to see the results, which is really cool. Yeah, exactly. All right, so Anton, is it ready? Are we are we ready? Mateo, are you ready for the for the scores? And we're going to get a little competitive now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will. I will forewarn you. I'm normally not that good. Apparently, uh, last week I will say I did because Sven had mentioned that maybe I wouldn't listen to the podcast um, during the uh, during the competitive part between him and Ajit. I did in fact listen, but he is right. I am not usually that good at this, so <laughs> we'll see how things go. Yeah. All right, well, let's first go over a couple of this week's uh, stats. So we had 439 people that played and we had a average score of 38.9, which is, well, only in Monaco and Australia did we have lower lower average scores. And uh, just to warm up a little bit, uh, how many people do you think predicted this podium? Judging by your laugh. Were you hear a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say it's say, low. I shouldn't have laughed. <laughs> Yeah. Matteo, you go first. What what do you think? Uh the exact podium. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. I'd I'd say like two. Sam? Fair. Okay. I am gonna go with zero. Zero. Yeah, there was no one that predicted this podium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I yeah. only went that way because Anton laughed when he yeah, first said gave it. it away. Yeah, like, no matter the... what, it's going to be low. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was well, I guess it was one of the tougher pro- podiums to predict this year. But um, but in general, like I said, low average score and also uh, relatively low um, score to take P1. So P1 was won by Ayan Beazit from Austria. Actually, his cousin was on P10 as well, so they did uh, quite well, both of them. He had um, a correct uh, P1 with Verstappen, P3 Hamilton, P5 Russell, P6 Pires, and P7 Alonso. So that's uh, that's quite good. That got him 67 points. And on second place, we had Alexa Valdez from Mexico, scoring 61.3 points. So that was at least one Mexican that finished on P2. Uh, she uh, also had a correct P1, correct P3, P5, P7, and she actually had Albon on P8 as well. And she had the fastest lap correct. So then on third place, we have two people, and I congratulate my namesakes. There was somebody from Belarus. His name is Anton Maslakov, and also Shreya Gimiri from Nepal. So those scored 59.3 points and uh, make it to third place on the podium this weekend. And um, with that, we move on to uh, looking at the the actual league. So that's getting a little bit uh, more tight and more interesting. So Tobias Jolie, who has been on first place for a long time now, he scored only 35.1 points. So he sticks on P- P1, but uh, his lead is shrinking. He was... Um, after Austria, I was still seven and a half points in the lead, but now only 3.6. Philip Hoyek from Lebanon is uh, gating in on him. He scored 39 points this weekend. And um, on P3 remains Jesus Diaz from Uruguay. He scored 51 points, so a few more. So he's also climbing up uh, and not very far away from P2 anymore. P4, Diana dropped from um, P4 to P6. 
which means that Chipka moves back to P4. And we have a new player on P5, which is Taha Umar from Turkey. So with the scores being relatively low, we don't have a single new score in the high scores for the worldwide high scores and neither for the continents. So we can move straight to looking at how the three of us scored this weekend. And I don't know if you've already looked a little bit at what you predicted. Uh, Sam, how well do you think you've done? I haven't looked at all. I haven't looked at all, so I don't know. I, I believe I have P1 and P3 correct. But as for the rest, I, I'm i not sure. Yeah, you do. You do. And you had Norris on P4, so you actually scored some points for Norris uh, finishing in P2. So that's actually quite quite good. And um, and you also had Alban on P9, so you, you're scoring two points for him as well, which um, means that you got 49 points this weekend. And um, that's actually, that's, you know, given the average of um, 38.9, that's, that's really good. And you, you're moving up from P89 to P66. Nice. Every little bit counts. <laughs> exactly. And Matteo, you, um, well, you and I, we scored very similar points. You scored 35.6. I scored 35.8. Um, <laughs> you, had, uh, you had Verstappen correct and you had Russell correct. Uh, and um, and actually, you were you were doing quite well so far. I think you were uh, P twenty four at the beginning of this weekend, but uh, yeah, with scoring only thirty five, you dropped to to thirty one. Still, still nice. I take it. Yeah, that that's actually still a pretty a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, yeah, but you were actually in, after Baku, you were on P two in the worldwide league. So you you have been and you've been on P five like twice. I think right after the Miami weekend after Spain. So you've been you've been doing quite a bit better than than all of us. Yeah, I I remember my my P two, but um, it's still it's still nice. I think that maybe with uh, with McLaren upgrades, also with uh, Aston Martin's little downfall, things have uh, have been uh, a bit harder to to predict yeah, yeah that's true that's, with, with... i was gonna say that's probably why the the average scores were a little bit lower is because i would imagine anton you would know but i would imagine that a lot of people are putting faith into aston martin and because of the fact that they didn't do so well and the success of mclaren that probably plays a huge factor yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Matteo was saying, I, I think that in the next couple of weeks is going to be tough because with McLaren being back up there, I mean, where are you going to put them? And then Albon also now making it into the top 10 consistently is also not getting... Uh, it's, it's, it's getting more difficult. Although we all, I guess, know who we're putting on P1, but for, for all of the positions <laughs> behind it, it's, it's, it's really quite tough. I Actually, you can't say, you can't say who we're putting on P1 because... Uh, if we're talking about everybody, I would exclude Ajit because Ajit normally puts somebody else on P1 <laughs> and it's not Max. <laughs> yeah, I think Ajit had a P1 Leclerc and P2 signs, but I I, he, he did yeah. put Norris on P3 actually. So, so that's quite a good call. Yeah. So I think uh, now we can go towards our quiz. And, and like you were saying, uh, it's a good point. Like how many people uh, are confident with Max there on P1. How many people uh, do the two of you think? And now we're actually going to keep track of the score. So I'm going to ask each one of you uh, how many people you think that had uh, each position correctly predicted. And then the one that gets closer to it uh, gets the point. So the first question is how many people had predicted Verstappen to win this race? And again, there were 400 39 people playing this weekend. So out of 439, 
How many people, Sam, I'm going to ask you first, how many people had a P1 for stopping? Okay, I'm going to say 392. All right, Matteo, what do you think? Um, I'm going to say 400. Nice. Matteo takes the round because there was 405 people who predicted for stopping to win. Nice. Yeah. So almost everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much almost everybody. Yeah, that means wow. that there were 34 people who didn't pick for stopping on. Uh, so, who do you think do the people that don't pick for stopping on P1, who do they go with? What do you think? I'm going to say, like, in terms of who, who was the second highest for P1 yeah, as a exactly. choice. Yeah, so there's okay. 34 people who don't pick for stopping on P1. Who do they put on P1? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean towards Hamilton just because it's Silverstone. So I would say I would say more people would have chose Hamilton as P1. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's uh, it, there's 14 people who predict Hamilton to win. There was nine people who predicted Leclerc to win, seven for Perez, three for Sainz, and only a single one for Alonso. We've, we've seen a lot more people predict uh, Alonso previously. So I guess faith in Aston Martin's already dropping a little bit. All right, so P2, Norris, how many people predicted Norris to finish in P2? What do you think? Uh, Matteo, you go first this time. Um, um, well, that was a surprise podium. Uh, so I'd say um, uh, five. Five. All right. Sam. I am going to go with four, which is his racing All number. Right. Let's Let's go with four. <laughs> Nice. This one goes to Sam. There were three people. Nice. Oh, I think that deserves a mention actually for those picking. I think P2, so. Norris. So there, yeah, yeah. So there was, there was uh, three people. It was Farsan Hussain from Pakistan, Ataya Marivo from Indonesia, and Martin Laun from Czech Republic. So uh, congratulations to you three, because uh, well, I, I would never dare to put Norris up there. Maybe maybe in the next couple of races, but I I, I kind of doubt I will. Oh, that that's not nice. I'll put I'll put Lando up there. I know it. I know you it. Will? Sana will. <laughs> She'll probably yeah, put she him had up him on, on P4 the podium, or like you did. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we have yeah, faith. Yeah, but P two is 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 high. And he managed to nice. get it though. Yeah, true. So you never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So we move on to Hamilton P three. How many people predicted that, Sam? Okay, I'm going to say probably a, a higher number than what I just said. So I'm going to say 212. Yeah, considering Hamilton is also the second highest uh, predicted P1, I'd say 250. 250, all right. So there was only 77 people, which wow. is quite a bit oh. lower than I would have guessed too. But, uh, but yeah, only 77. So it goes to Sam because... Uh, well, 212 is closer than 250. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, I, I, I'm actually surprised that, uh, that it was 77 people for, for P3. Yeah, considering that there yeah. were, like uh, you said, uh, 20 people for P1. Yeah, exactly. Actually, Anton, do you have the number for how many? I, I may be putting you on the spot. You may not have this number. But do you have the number for how many people chose Hamilton for P2? Yeah, I do. So that's 72 people. Okay, um, so interesting. So, And how many, again, was it for P1? Yeah, it was 14. So 14 for, for P1, 72 for second position, and then 77 for third. So you have just shy of 200 people, basically, that are deciding that he's going to be on the podium. It's just a question of where they're putting him. 
Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And, then, and I suppose that most of the others then go for, yeah, the positions just behind that. Yeah, exactly. I, I expected P2 to be lower and P3 to be higher. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and then um, P4, I guess, without giving away too much, is also a bit of a surprise finish. So, uh, so I guess we're going to lower numbers again. But, uh, but, but, uh, you guys uh, tell me how many had uh, Piastri on fourth. I go. Uh, yeah, I think it's your turn first. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd say two. That's a good guess. I was gonna go with two too. Okay, so then I'll go one. Um, I'll go one up just in case. I'll say three. Yeah, there was no one. So. Oh. <laughs> but I, it's. I mean. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's fair to ask. And if, you know, if there's two people who have, or three people that have Norris on P2 and no one predicting Piastri, is it even more of a surprise seeing Piastri on P4 than it is to see Norris on P2? Or is that too much to say? No, I agree. I agree because uh, we've seen Norris uh, picking up P4 a week ago and Piastri finishing outside the points. So fair enough. Yeah. True. Yeah, so we're absolutely. at 2-2 two, two between the two of you. Okay. And we're going to move on to Russell at P5. Hmm. Okay, I guess it's my go. Yeah, it is. I'm going to say 34. I'd say, let's say uh, 60. Mm, nice. Very close. It was 62 people. So uh, that round goes to Mateo. Yeah, yeah. You were only two off. <laughs> that was you were only two of there, and you were also, uh, oh yeah, you were only five off of P1 with Verstappen. No, you're doing, you're doing well. All right, Pires, you go first, uh, Matteo. Pires on P6. Um, yeah, um, I'm gonna go with, um, I'm gonna go with uh, 20. It's a good guess. I'm gonna go, I'm trying to decide, should I go above or below? Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go just below. I'm gonna I'm gonna do 19. Nice. That's a that's a good choice because it was only uh, 10 people. So so you're gonna get that point. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess a lot of people. But let me ask you this then. Now I'm curious. Okay, so if only 10 chose him there, did the majority of the number uh, for positions for Perez was higher than P7? Did people put more faith in him above that, or was it actually well, lower? Because obviously of his instability as of recently. Here I only have the numbers of how many chose him for first, second and third. But um, yeah, so there were seven people who had him on first. There were 202 people who had him on second because the vast majority of people go with P1 for stopping P2, Paris. And then uh, 102 people had him on P3. So, you know, with uh, with those numbers alone, you get to a little over 300. So uh, So I guess most people do put him on the podium still. So most people had faith. So what would be, what will be interesting is after Hungary is seeing where everybody is going to be picking him. Are they going to continue to, to put faith in him, finishing stronger and potentially on the podium? Or given the most recent history and results, is that going to actually drop? Yeah, you know. I mean, I was one of those people that put him in P2. So <laughs> I, I was thinking that maybe that maybe he was going to bounce back in Silverstone just because of the, the track itself is, is catered to a Red Bull, I would say. But um, I don't know. Even myself, I'm doubting it yeah, going into next you know, week. I, so, for example, last week in, in Austria, I left him out of 
the top 10, both for the race and the sprint. But then, yeah, he qualifies 15 and he drives back to third. So, you know, I guess even regardless of having bad qualifying, you, you do, you are going to see him end up in the top 10, I guess. Uh, yeah, just not every track is that easy to overtake on if you, if you, if you start that far back. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's also tough to imagine he's, he's not going to make you three again in Hungary. No. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. All right. So before looking forward to Hungary, let's uh, let's first see how many people had Alonso on P7. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm losing, I think Sam has to start this one, no? Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So we're saying Alonso. I'm going to say 33. I don't think a lot of people would have put him in that spot. I think that they would have probably put him higher. Okay, so I would I go um uh, I go higher and I stay thirty four. Again, good decision making because it was fifty seven people. Ooh. So that point goes to Matteo. <laughs> nice <laughs> album P eight. Matteo. Um, considering uh his score points in Canada and he finished P eleven in uh. In Austria, and I also predicted him to to score points here. Um, I would say sixty. One six, you mean, or sixty? Uh, sixty six zero. Okay, okay, got it. Okay, Sam. That's a good guess. <laughs> I was gonna go for something around that too. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go above that. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say seventy one. <laughs> All right, the point. Goes to Matteo because it was a bit lower. It was it was thirty five people. No, fair. Oh, okay. But I was looking at how many people actually predicted him in the top ten. So also taking the other positions, and then it it's it were two hundred and three people. So that's almost half of everyone predicting. So I think uh, we do see people getting a little bit more confidence in 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 Albon. And uh, I just think that a lot of people putting him on P10 and P9. So actually finishing P8 is, is relatively high for what people are predicting. But uh, but yeah, so still 35 people. So um, Matteo is actually five against three now on points. Yeah. And um, we go to the last <laughs> two. Like I said, no shocker there. I said that in the beginning. <laughs> we go to the last two and then to fastest lap so first up is uh, leclerc on p9 whose go is it i think uh, you is it man okay i'm gonna say this is pretty low i'm going to go with 15. um i think it's uh it's even lower uh, i'm gonna go with uh, 10. it is indeed even lower than that it was only six people wow fair enough yeah p9 is uh, is very low so that means it's six against three, Sam. You you, you can't even win this one. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, Anton, but, just 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 remind me. Actually, but hold on, hold on. Can I just say this? In terms of you and I competing every week, I did beat you this week. So at least I won something. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll I'll refrain from laughing. Now. I'll take that. <laughs> We're gonna move to signs on P10, and actually uh, this one from Mateo first. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think uh, it must be a similar number to Leclerc, so I, I go with uh, five. Sam? I'm going to go with seven. Oh, Sam, you're getting further and further away. <laughs> no one predicted signs to finish P10. No way. Yep. 
Wow. I'm actually surprised, but well, maybe not. Maybe not completely surprised by that, but still. What's what's even more unfortunate is the fact that um, ultimately everyone is probably surprised to see or didn't expect to see Ferrari finish where they did this weekend. Yeah, because indeed, indeed. Yeah, that, that I think that I would take that out of this out of this result is that nobody would have thought that Signs would have ended up in tenth, and uh, same with where Leclerc finished. So yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of. Uh of Ferrari's uh, results this weekend. And, uh, well, there's only one more question left, which is how many people predicted Verstappen to take that fastest lap? Okay. I think it's... Is it my turn? Yeah, it is. It is your turn. I don't even know. I haven't been paying attention. I, I keep on uh, forgetting is. whose turn it is. <laughs> yeah, same. Okay. okay. I'm going to go with a high number, of course. Fastest lap. I'm going to say 350. Mateo. Um, yeah, it must be, must be very high considering more than 400, 405, uh, predicted him to win. I think, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, 300 and, uh, and 60, 360. Oh, geez, Sam, you were so close, but then Matteo still takes it away because it was 357. <laughs> you both were very, very close. Wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. That's okay. I, I didn't win this week anyways, so it's fine. But that's, at least we were close. You were very close on that term, for sure. In the end, the score is uh, eight against three, but uh, I, I won't repeat it too many times, Sam. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I can hear you laughing over there, Anton. It's fine. Don't worry. We have a lot more race weekends to go and a lot more times for me likely to... Um, not do so well, but I have gotten some right uh, on the money, which is good. I'll take that out of anything. Yeah, so a lot of race weekends still to go, of which the first one is the Hungaro Ring on the 23rd of uh, July. Uh, what are your expectations besides the things that we have already mentioned? Are you, are you looking forward to something specific? Yeah, uh, I think that uh, the, main, the main question point will be if uh, McLaren and Aston Martin um, will continue their like form. So if McLaren can continue to uh, to improve or uh, at least to uh, to keep uh, its uh, its form, and if Aston Martin can turn it around, or uh, it will continue to uh, to be outside uh, the top five. And also another another question point will be um, if Ferrari uh, can improve because um, I think. They have been clearly the second fastest car in both Canada and Austria. And on pure pace, uh, they weren't that far away uh, in Silverstone either. But of course, the result was uh, was very disappointing. And also, yeah, let's keep an eye on, on Williams because, of course, uh, it's been three weekends in a row with uh, Albon in the top 11. So maybe... Him and uh, and top ten will be a uh, a common occurrence. I hope so. I, I would love to see that. Honestly, I mean, the closer together it all is, uh, the 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 better for me. I think the better for all of us. Yeah, I think I think this weekend coming up is going to be really exciting because there's so many different variables. There's teams that are starting to pick up pace. There are teams that have um, or even drivers themselves that 
have started to become a little more stagnant. So it's going to be really interesting to see where everything shakes up in Hungary. I, I think you're right, Matteo, seeing uh, Ferrari and uh, in terms of pace, they are they are one of the top teams. So we can hope that maybe they're going to bounce back next weekend. Uh, seeing McLaren, seeing the confidence now that they have coming out of this weekend, is that going to translate into Hungary? And I would also say Alpine as well. The only reason why I mention Alpine is, is because last year they did well, right? Ocon uh, did very well in Hungary. So it would be interesting seeing they've had, they've had a lot of unfortunate circumstances and just DNFs throughout this season. I would like to hope that we're going to see something better from them going into Hungary. And, uh, and then, yeah, of course, keeping our eyes on Williams now that they've started to improve where are they going to end up next week? So, well, technically not week next week, but two weeks from now. I'm just afraid for Williams because in 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 Hungary there's a lot of slow speed corners, and I think that's not really their strength. But I, I I'm well, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm really hoping that um, not only not only Album, but uh, you know, seeing Sargent finishing P11 was actually quite tough on him because it would have been nice for him to score his first points. But I guess uh, I guess he's going to wait a little bit longer for that still to happen. Well, and let's also see where Haas ends up. Hopefully, there's uh, <laughs> hopefully hopefully they finish the race. I'd like to see it, see both drivers finish the race. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, this weekend they have been uh, overtaken by by Williams in the constructors championship, and uh, that's not their fault because uh, yeah, they have been very very unlucky. So. Uh, if they can score some points in in Hungary, uh, it will be it will be nice. Yeah, I guess both Haas and AlphaTauri uh, are are in a difficult spot at the moment. But uh, but let's see for Hungary. New weekend, new chances, and uh, also new chances for uh, for all of our predictions. So I think with that we can conclude this week's episode. Uh, thank you, Sam, for coming back, <laughs> and uh, Matteo. Thank you very much for being a guest. Uh, on the on the podcast was awesome having you thank you uh it was it was very great to uh to be on the podcast absolutely and don't forget to either follow us on spotify or any of the podcast listening platforms you can find us on all the major platforms and also rate us Uh, it's really great if you are able to go on there and uh give us a rating and hopefully a nice one (laughs) all right tune in into two weeks bye everybody bye